open your Bibles with me, please, once again to Acts chapter 20 as we take a couple of more inches forward in this sermon that the Apostle Paul, not really a sermon, but the message that he gave to the elders of the Ephesus church. Our Father in heaven, now we come to that time, like Deacon Steve just prayed for the young ones, that they would listen, believe, memorize your word, and make it the foundation for their lives. May we do the same. Help us, Lord God, to listen and to be taught by you. What a privilege. What a high thing to be taught by the living God. Hallelujah. Help us to listen and give you glory by being doers of it. Believe it. Receive it and be doers of it by your strength. Not to justify ourselves, but because we've been justified by your grace already. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, take a look at verse 29. And we'll take the next three verses here today. For I know this, that after my departure... Savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also, from among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things, to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch, and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone day, night and day, with tears. That's as far as we'll take that today. Now, of course, I should give you a little review just to tie it all together. Uh, Last week, we talked about how the Lord had made these elders overseers of the church at Ephesus. And their command was to shepherd. That's the basic command of the elder or pastor or bishop or overseer. Those words all describing the same person or people. That's the basic task, is to shepherd. And we talked about what it is to shepherd. And the big chief task of the shepherd is to wield the staff of the Word of God and preach and teach. That accomplishes purpose after purpose in the life of the church. It teaches and edifies and encourages, but as you'll see today, it also fends off attacks from the enemy. And the enemy does attack. So that basic task is to shepherd. But then when you get to this section in verse 29, he says, really these three verses break up into two sections themselves. There's verses 29 and 30, which describe a problem, a major problem that Paul foresaw coming to these elders and their church at Ephesus and every pastor and every church down through the ages faces it. And then the remedy for it is given in verse 31. And verse 31, really in a way, falls under that heading of shepherd. 
I mean, the real great command here, as I said, is to shepherd. And then verse 31 is part of the process of shepherding. And so we'll talk about that. We'll talk about the problem, and then we'll talk about the solution. Nice and tidy for today, right? So here we go. J. Vernon McGee was a pastor for a long time and had a radio ministry for a long time. And even since he's long since gone home to be with the Lord, his teachings, which are very solid in the Word of God, live on through radio, internet, and books. And I have some of his comments here on this section. And I just want to start off by reading a couple of short sentences to you. Pastor McGee said, Friend, I have seen that happen. And the that that he's referring to is what it says in verses 29 and 30. Savage wolves come in and men speaking perverse things rise up among them. He says, I have seen that happen. The devil wants to get into a church where the Bible has been taught. He would like to wreck a radio ministry that is teaching the Word of God. He was a radio preacher by the time he wrote this. The devil is not our friend. He is our enemy. He wants to stop the teaching of God's Word. Paul warned them at Ephesus that this would happen to them. He tells them there would be little termites right in their midst who will really cause trouble for them. Look at the words in verse 29. Let's unpack this a little bit then. I know this. It's amazing the confidence with which he says this, isn't there? Isn't it? He doesn't say to them, be careful because this might happen. He doesn't say to them, you know, in all my years of traveling around ministering, there have been some places where I've gone where this happened. No. He saw this everywhere. Everywhere he went. Everywhere he preached the gospel. From the moment he began to preach the gospel to the moments that were used to establish churches and establish leaders in churches. And certainly beyond the time that he left, there was undermining of the ministry of the gospel that had been planted wherever he had gone. And he saw it again and again and again. And I can only imagine that it grieved him. I can only imagine that it caused, we would say in modern times, stress in his life. I can only imagine that his heart ached and if you read some of the prayers that he records in some of his epistles, which I won't do today, but if you read some of those prayers, you can see in those prayers, read the one early in the book of Colossians especially, just this amazing desire he had as expressed in his prayers that people would just ground themselves in God's word. So the onslaught of undermining could be resisted. The undermining comes in many forms. I'll specifically read some scripture in a moment to show you some of it. But the undermining can come in the form of uh, 
undermining the authority in the church. He's speaking to elders. And we spoke last week about how while the elders are not to lord their authority over people, they do have rule. They are called to rule in more than one place in the New Testament. As you saw last week, that's the word that's used, rule. Right? And so one of the things that people might come in and do is undermine that rule. Another thing they might do is they might come in and try to fill people's lives with activities that distract them from what the real mission of the church is. Right? That's another way to get people off. Let's do this, 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 and this. And before you know it, everybody's busy doing things and preaching the Bible and studying the Word and praying and evangelizing and making disciples doesn't really seem to be... You take a step back from it all and you... What happened to that? It doesn't seem to be going on. Nobody seems to be interested in the Word of God anymore. It's subtle, but that's one way that it happens. Another way that it happens is direct assault on the truth. On the truth, This is the devil's own tactic in the Garden of Eden. Did God really say, don't eat from the tree in the midst of the garden? No, no, no. God only, God only knows that you'll, you'll eat it. Your eyes will be opened and you'll be like him. Right? So there's direct assault on the truth. So at, at every turn, and there's many other things that we'll talk about, more specific things. But Paul says, with confidence and assurance, this, for I know this, that after my departure, as soon as I continue my journey to Jerusalem, if you remember the context of this, savage or ravenous, that is, insatiably hungry wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And you can see the deliberate choice of words. He speaks to them of being shepherds. He speaks to people coming in being wolves and not sparing the flock. A savage or ravenous wolf is a wolf that would come into a flock of sheep and show no mercy. The, 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 the wolf would see the sheep as food, spoil, booty, property for itself. And would spare nothing in the destruction of the lives of those sheep to eat and to take care of itself. Strong words, right? He said they would... Come in among you, not sparing the flock. Now look at the two layers of this. Then we're going to turn to some other passages of Scripture. In verse 29 and verse 30, he really describes the same problem, but two different ways. Right? In verse 29, he says, Savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. The idea there is that these are people who would come into the church. Perhaps they would come into church just as members of the church. You know, false believers. Or perhaps it would be people who would come into the church and claim to be something and rise to some position of prominence, especially teaching. But then in verse 30, look at this. Notice it starts with the word also in the New King James Version or some other versions start with the word even. The idea is that there's a, a cumulative approach to this. In other words, on top of... On top of what he says in verse 29, you also have this. 
among yourselves. Now imagine being one of those guys standing there, right? Imagine being one of those guys gathered around Paul and listening to him and having Paul say, even among yourselves, what? Men are going to rise up speaking perverse things. Perverse means crooked. And, the, and you can see what the objective there is, right? To draw people away after themselves. So Paul warns them that even among you guys, you elders, you pastors, people are going to rise up and their aim and their goal is going to be to draw people away from the truth that you're preaching and draw them after yourselves. And so in all of the... And by the way, does that not, in my mind, does that not evoke Jesus saying to his disciples before he was betrayed, there's one of you sitting here at the table, you know, who's going to betray me. And they're all like, Lord, is it me? Is it me, Lord? And of course, it ends up being Judas Iscariot, who was a deceiver and an imposter from the beginning, right? But he walked with them for three years. One time, Jesus even said of his own disciples, have I not chosen all of you? And yet one of you is a, a fake, a fraud, basically, a deceiver, right? So imagine being one of these guys, and they're all happy to be with Paul, sad that he won't see them anymore. But then he says, among you, men are going to rise up. And they're going to speak crooked things, perverse things, wrong things. The idea of crooked and perverse is no conscience about the truth. Men will rise up with no conscience concerning the truth and say whatever needs to be said to draw people away after themselves. This is a big problem. This is a two-layered problem. As we've gone through Acts and we've read and studied Paul's ministry, we have seen so many times that he has gone place to place preaching the word and the Jews would rise up or they'd stir up the Gentiles of the town people who don't believe, who aren't part of the church, to rise up and to undermine. He's not saying anything about that here. He's talking about their church. He's saying that people will rise up right in the middle of the flock like wolves. There will be sheep among wolves. There will be wolves among sheep, rather, which is a dangerous scenario. And they won't spare anybody. And on top of all of that, there's going to be preachers, pastors, shepherds. People are going to rise up and say whatever they need to say to draw people away after themselves. This is what he says, I am absolutely certain once I leave, you are going to face. May I say to you, as Pastor McGee said, we're not immune to that. And so we need to follow the guidance of the Word of God. And we need to contend for the faith. And we need to hold fast to the truth. See, Paul doesn't say this in such a way that he's communicating to them that it's impossible to do anything about it. There is stuff you can do about it. But it's that same old stuff that the devil tries to get people to be worn out on. It's the book. It's the prayer. It's the fellowship. 
It's the commitment to the gospel. It's that faithful, truthful teaching of God's word that keeps people grounded. And there's nothing else that does. And what happens is we grow old and tired and we consider it boring because it doesn't scratch our desires. It's not entertaining enough to us. And in so doing, what, when what we think we're doing is making things fresh and enjoyable for people, in fact, what we're doing is we're making people vulnerable to wolves among them and false teachers rising up to say anything they want to pull people away. Do you understand all that? I want you to turn with me. I think I, I, I sometimes I just read scripture to you, but I, I'd like you to actually today flip your Bibles open with me and follow along because I want you to see a few passages of scripture. So before we get into the solution, which is in verse 31, let's talk a little bit more here about the problem. And let's get some things that Jesus said, and let's get some things in us that Paul said in other places as well. Open to Matthew chapter 7. Go to the Sermon on the Mount and turn to Matthew chapter 7 and verse 15. What did Jesus say about this? About his own flock? Matthew seven fifteen. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly, here's the same phrase that Paul uses, they are ravenous wolves, or savage wolves, as, he, as Paul says. And the idea here is these false prophets, they come in sheep's clothing. The idea of sheep's clothing is that on the outside, what they appear to the undiscerning person to be is a sheep. Part of the flock, one of the fam, just here to worship along with you. Just here because they want to praise the Lord. But Jesus said, be aware. That's what beware means, be aware. Be aware of false prophets. Because inwardly, what you can't just easily observe is that they are ravenous wolves. And then Jesus goes on to say how you'll know them. You'll know them by their fruits. What does he mean by that? Well, he goes on to explain. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? That's rhetoric to which the obvious answer is no, right? A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. Now, this requires that people be able to recognize what is good fruit and what is bad fruit. Good fruit, as Paul wrote when he wrote to the Galatians, you can listen, just listen to this one because you've heard me say it many times and you've read it for yourself. Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love Joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. No law against any of that. 
And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not come become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. As nice as a person may be, as energetic as a person may be, Christians are known by their fruit. Teachers are known by their fruit. People who come into a church saying things to the people. People who come into the church to influence are known by their fruit. Now, I want to insert a bit of a modern context here because Jesus was here on the earth and Paul lived at a time that preceded a lot of the modern ways that we gather. As we're gathered in this room right now, there are a number of people who are gathered with us online. Hello. And they are gathered with us as well. And that's a good thing that has its uses and its purposes. But that should also be a reminder of what? There is a lot of communication and infiltration of the hearts and minds of Christians that happens outside of what we do here. And that was much, that aspect of things which was much less prevalent in the 2,000 year ago world. When Paul says, savage wolves are going to come in among you, he meant literally among you. But among you sometimes means something a little different in the modern context. That means we need to be extra aware. We need to be more aware. Much gets said on the internet, YouTube, Facebook. I'm going to list them all. You know all of them. I don't even, you, you know more of them than I do. I just named the two that I'm aware of. But there's others. There's lots of ways that all sorts of perverse things are spread concerning the faith. All sorts of different ideas. What we need is to be grounded in the Word of God. And anything that would... Listen, even good theology sometimes can pull people away from the Word of God. Did you know that? Sometimes people will study theology and in their minds, their understanding of theology will overtake their desire to just go verse by verse through the Bible and read and take it as what it says. And what happens is they develop what they think is a theological understanding. They begin to read and study scripture. Everything needs to be filtered through what they think their theological understanding is. And as a result, they end up corrupting and perverting and changing things about the Word of God. And then they all talk to each other on the internet. Savage wolves not sparing the flock. How do you know them? By their fruits. Is there love? Do they have joy? Are they at peace? Do they suffer long, which is to say, are they patient in tribulation and trouble? Are they kind? Do they practice goodness in their lives? Are they faithful? Are they gentle? Do they exercise self-control in many different arenas of their life? That's how you recognize the true is by the fruit of the Spirit. Not just by the words that they say. Be careful what you listen to. Be discerning about what you expose yourself to. What the Christian needs in 2022 is the same thing that the Christian needed when the Apostle Paul spoke to the Ephesus elders that day. They need to be shepherded by the Word of God. Every word of the Bible. 
And the whole Bible didn't even exist, granted, at the time that Paul spoke to these Ephesus elders. But it wasn't long after all of that that what became what we know as the New Testament was completed and assembled and put together. And so what Paul called all Scripture 2,000 years ago wasn't even complete yet. It's complete now. And what's needed for the believer is every word of Scripture. Just so you're aware, are you still open to Matthew? Turn to, turn to, ch- to verse 21 in Matthew chapter 7. I, just, I think I just left off at verse 20, did I not? So now go on to verse 21. Just so you're aware of the fact that not everyone that professes to be Christian is. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. Just stop there. If if Jesus said nothing else, doesn't that statement alone demand that Christians study the word and pray and stay close to the Lord so they can learn to exercise discernment? I mean, in the previous passage, he said that false prophets will come in sheep's clothing. Then he says, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. So not everyone who simply calls Jesus Lord is actually a subject of Jesus. You're able to lie to yourself, to the Lord, even unwittingly. You're able to lie to others about that, even if you're not aware of it, or if you are. You need to be discerning. And listen, why all the emphasis on this? Of all the things that Paul could have said to them, why does he say, as soon as I leave, savage wolves come in, and even among yourself. Why didn't he say to them, you know, I love you, and I just want you, I just want you to remember how much God is for you. And I just want you to remember how much God wants to bless you. And I just want you to remember that God has every need of yours all stored up in his mind and is just waiting for you to ask. Make sure you remind the people again and again that God wants to give them everything that their hearts desire. As long, Why doesn't Paul say that? What Paul says is, as soon as I leave, the wolves come. As soon as I leave, some of you are going to rise up and say crooked things to draw away people after yourself. Why does Jesus say what he says here? Here's the answer. Because the way, listen, look at me. Everyone look at me. The way that leads to life is narrow. Narrow. And few, few, few find it. This is, this is a narrow-minded document. And we're not ashamed of that. We're grateful for it because we can have confidence in its truth. There's one way to God, and that is through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. A faith that, if real, if real, produces good fruit in a person's life. Walk closely with the Lord and learn to be discerning. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. What's the will of the Father in heaven? Is Jesus talking about being saved by works there? Is Jesus changing everything that we know, that we read everywhere else in the Bible and saying, 
A person is saved. They're not saved by calling me Lord. They're saved by what they do. Is that what Jesus... No. What is the will of the Father in heaven? That you believe in Him whom He sent. Let me show you this. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, and look at this. Have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? Now, those are not things that atheists lay claim to. Those are things that people that sit in churches on Sunday lay claim to. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now, there is something to be said for the fact that the practice, the general practice of the life of the Christian changes when he believes. But our practice, that is how we live, never becomes that which saves us. When a person says to God, Lord, Lord, didn't I prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons? Didn't we do wonders in your name? Didn't we go to church in your name? Didn't we worship in your name? Didn't we do this in your name? Didn't we do that in your name? Didn't we teach in your name? When a person says that to the Lord, what are they saying? They're saying, look at me. And as soon as you say to God, look at me, don't I deserve this? You've corrupted the gospel. As soon as you start to say, look at me, then guess what? You're accountable for your entire life. And when you start to trust in yourself, guess what the assessment of your works is? Sin. Sin, 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 sin. And so Jesus says to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Listen, you want to trust in you've preached in my name? You want to trust in you've cast out demons in my name? You want to trust in going to church? You want to trust in your, your, the, the way you've Manage to squeeze some religion into your life while you actually just live a life of selfishness and everything. You want to some okay. Well, let's examine your life then. You want your life to justify yourself before Christ? Okay, let's do it my way. You ever told a lie? You ever committed adultery or even lusted after somebody in your heart? You ever coveted someone else's whatever, fill in the blank? You ever dishonored your parents? You ever used the Lord's name in vain? Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. See? Yes. Obedient living is a true manifestation of someone who is a child of God. But never to the point where we can say to Jesus, Lord, look what I've done. How do you know the false from the true? The true is the person who bounces everything about their heart, their mind, their hope, their trust to Jesus Christ. I said this last week. How do you know a true teacher from a false teacher? Well, one of the ways is you see that teacher up there, but you see right past him to the cross. 
I don't know if that's why preachers preach with crosses behind them or not, but, but that's a pretty good reason. Now, I'm big and I fill a lot of space. But nobody's sitting in front of me. You're on the two sides. So I trust you understand. I'm being funny. But you understand the point. One of the things about false teachers is they will always themselves be the object of their ministry. And you find yourself looking to them, which is why so many people get crushed when the inevitable downfall of them comes. I'd like to think if something happened to me, everything would go on fine here. Because my hope is that you're not... You are to look at me, yes. You are to submit to my rule, in a sense, like we talked about last week, yes. You are to listen to me, yes. But I am not to take the place of Christ in your life. You look at me in as much as I point you. This is in the way, isn't it? There we go. You look at me in as much as I point you to the cross. As much as I point you to Christ. That's one of the ways you can tell the false brother from the true brother. The the professing Christian. Lord, look what I've done! To the true Christian. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. You understand? The false teacher will always be ready to speak to you of the accomplishments of of himself and his ministry. The true teacher will always point you to Christ. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of the Father in heaven. What's the will of my Father in heaven? That you believe in him whom he has sent. And that's the only way that somebody enters heaven, is they have put their trust and their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because he is able, able, able to deliver them. Because when Jesus died on the cross, he took everything that was needed to satisfy the justice of God in his body, in his flesh, and by shedding his blood when he died on the cross. And that's the only way for you to get your feet on that narrow road and stay on it, is to recognize that when Jesus died on the cross, what is needed to satisfy God's justice against your sin happened. And there's no other way for it to happen. And your getting into heaven or not has nothing to do with what you do. Your getting into heaven or not has to do with everything that he did. And you trust in him. And you trust in nothing else. Yes, your life produces fruit. Yes, you serve the Lord. Yes, you walk in obedience. But guess what? You're going to fall short in all of those things. And so you don't say before God, look at what I've done, ever. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Sang that last week. Wow, didn't expect to take so long going through that. But praise the Lord. First Timothy, listen to this. First Timothy chapter 1, verse 3. You can turn there if you want. First Timothy, First Timothy chapter 1 and verse 3. Let's listen to something that Paul said to Timothy about this. Timothy, who, as I pointed out before, eventually became one of the elders at the Ephesus church. And was at the time that Paul wrote 1st and 2nd Timothy. As, verse 3, right in the opening of the book, 1st Timothy. As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine. 
nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which cause disputes rather than godly edification, which is in faith. The purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, from sincere faith. That's it right there. Pure heart, good conscience, sincere faith. From which some having strayed have turned aside to idle talk. See, that's what happens. Paul talks about that when he leaves, savage wolves will come in. False teachers will rise up among you. And that's what they bring. Idle talk. Gossip. Worldliness. Futility. Slander. Lies. Useless sentimental stories. Promises of earthly blessing that are completely outside of what the scripture teaches. False prophecies saying, the Lord told me this, the Lord told me that. Idle talk. Idle talk that gets people off of the truth. The truth is contained right here. Listen to me. This is the truth of God. The Bible is the truth of God. Paul says to Timothy, you stay right there in Ephesus and you charge some that they don't drift away from this at all. We need to get this right and we need to make sure we stay on this. This is what life on the narrow road looks like. A bunch of people who love God's word and they love to read it and study it. And Steve was praying before. Memorize it and make it the foundation for your life. Yes, amen. That's what church, not just Sunday school, that's what church looks like. We let ourselves get bored. We let it get dry. We let ourselves buy into the lies that there must be more. What do you mean there must be more? Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. Now God has given us his word that we might know everything we need to know about him, about what he's done, about what he's going to do, and about how we ought to live. Yes. yes. All right. Flip back to Acts 20 if you're not there yet. Now. Let me just, now I'm going to read a few more things to you. What are some forms that the savagery can take? What are some forms that the, the false brethren that come in among you, or the false teachers that rise up, the false pastors, the false prophets that rise up? Well, number one, they can corrupt the true gospel, the gospel of grace. Paul wrote to Galatians, I marvel that you're turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another. But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel. This is all over the New Testament, these warnings. I, I can't even scratch the surface of it for you this morning. A different gospel, which is not another. But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. He says, even if we... In other words... Paul said, I came to you and I preached that salvation is by God's grace through faith and nothing else. Even if I come back and change it, or even if an angel from a heaven appears, supposedly, and preaches something else, let him be accursed. That's pretty strong stuff. 
Paul says, Paul says, even if I come and preach anything different, let me be accursed. Even if an angel, cursing angels? Even if an angel comes and preaches something else, let him be accursed. Right? People had, in the early church had changed the gospel of Christ into religion. We called them Judaizers. We went through Galatians recently. They had, they had begun to preach that if someone believed the gospel, it wasn't enough and they needed to get circumcised as well. Religious works. They added just that one little bit of religious works and what might have on the surface to some seemed to make so much sense, but it was damning. It was condemning. Because salvation is only by God's grace through faith in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Another thing that false teachers do is they corrupt love among the brethren. My little children, 1 John chapter 3, verse 18, my little children... Let us not love in word or tongue, but in deed and in truth. And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. That's his commandment. And when preachers come in and change the simplicity and the beauty of trust in the Lord Jesus with all of your heart, and then obey him by loving one another. The obedience by loving one another becoming like the fruit of having believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. When people come in and pervert any of that, they're anti-Christ is what he goes on to say. He says, he who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Beloved, don't believe every spirit. But test the spirits, whether they're of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this, you know, the spirit of God, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. And some have tried to, perhaps with accuracy, point out. 2,000-year-old Gnosticism and part of the false teaching was that they corrupted the gospel by saying that Jesus had not actually come in the flesh or, or had not actually risen from the dead literally. and all, all, the, all these little subtle things that people do to twist people's minds and pull people after themselves. That was already going on. The inspiration behind all false teachers is Satan himself. Paul wrote of some false teachers that were troubling the Corinthian church. He said, such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it's no great thing of his ministers. Catch that? His ministers. False teachers are actually ministers of Satan. That's how important accurate teaching is. That's how important accurate shepherding is. That's how important your Bible is. That's how important the Word of God is. The person who twists the Word of God 
is acting like Satan and acting on behalf of Satan. Whose end will be according to their works. There's that again. You know, the false prophet, when he stands before the Lord, will be judged for his works. What happens to everyone who's judged for their works? They go to hell because your works can never save you. And you know who goes to hell with them? Those who listen to them and follow them. It's a narrow road, brothers and sisters. Let me wrap this up by looking at verse 30. Go back to Acts chapter 20. You see verse 30? 31, I'm sorry. What's the remedy? This is real simple. I've kind of already said it. Paul says two things. Therefore, watch. Right? So you get it? I mean, I have more stuff here I was going to read, but for time's sake, I won't. There's so much about this in the Bible, about false teachers. We just looked at the New Testament. You could look at, you could look at ba- uh, um, Balaam in, in the Old Testament and some of the false rebels among the Israelites who rose up against Moses. I mean, this happened again and again. You know, the prophets of Baal who, who uh, uh, Elijah stood up against. There's all kinds of false things that rise up and corrupt even in the Old Testament as well. But you can see that. Among yourselves, men would rise up so that, and, and, and there would be savage wolves that would come in among you. So Paul says in verse 31, therefore what? Watch. Keep your eyes open for it. Keep your eyes open. Listen, the Christian cannot fall asleep on his faith. Now, especially pastors, that's who he's talking to. You can't fall asleep on your faith. You can't fall asleep on the devil. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. That's why J. Vernon McGee said in that quote that I opened my sermon with, the devil's not our friend. He wants to undermine, he's real and wants to undermine and destroy everything that's good and fruitful about a Bible preaching ministry. And so there isn't a moment to fall asleep on this. He says, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. So the commands are to watch and to remember And the idea of remember was to remember what Paul did and imitate it. Remember what? Remember that for three years, Paul used to warn them. So really, the command to these elders is what? Watch and warn. Watch and warn. And guess what? Guess what the best single passage of Scripture to point out to you is to encapsulate this watching and warning. It's 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 which I've probably quoted over a hundred times in the time I've been the pastor of the church. Turn to it. Open your Bibles to it. Second Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. Come on, open your Bibles to it. What's the shepherd called to do? He's called to shepherd using the staff of the Word of God. Here's how you watch and here's how you warn. Paul tells Timothy, pastor of the church at Ephesus at the time, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. You know this now, right? All script That is to say, every word of the Bible comes from him. And here you go. It's profitable for doctrine. Here's how shepherding happens. 
Here's how standing against false teachers happens. Here's how fending off wolves happens. Here's how keeping your eyes open to those who will rise up among you happens. Doctrine. All scripture. What's the source for your doctrine? All scripture. Reproof. Reproof is to check things, test the spirits. How do you do that? That's what reproof is. Reproof is to check what's being taught to see if it's right. What is the standard by which it's checked? All scripture. For correction. Correction is to find what's right to replace what's wrong. What's the source of correction? All scripture. Instruction in righteousness. That is to teach someone who has believed how now they ought to walk in righteousness before the Lord. What is the source of instruction in righteousness? All scripture. All scripture. Every word of the Bible. You may not realize it. And some of you, like me, you've walked with the Lord for years and years and years and maybe reading the Bible again or listening to another sermon or devoting yourself to the Word of God. It starts to feel a little old. It starts to get a little tiring. Yes, it does. No apology for that, though. Because it's work. You need the words of the Bible as much now as you ever have in your life. Because the new Christian who knows nothing at least knows, man, look at the, I can understand the Bible now. It makes sense. I'm learning. You start to read through stuff you never read before. It's like it starts to jump off the page because you're experiencing the passage that Bob read in the beginning of the service. You're experiencing the teacher inside of you, teaching you. That's great. And then you've been in the faith for a long time and you've read through the Bible and you've heard sermon after sermon after sermon from the, the big blowhard Pastor Lou up there in his pulpit. You've listened to sermon after, you're supposed to laugh at that, sir, because I'm not really that. Well, the big part is right, but the blowhard is. All right, so, so, it's like, so it's like, you know, you listen to, it starts to grow old and you start to get tired. The wolf doesn't stop. The false teacher doesn't stop. Patiently walks around, Satan does. And all scripture is what you need to teach, to check and examine and test, to correct, to teach the ways of righteousness. That the man of God may be complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. And then he says, ready? Here's the watching and the warning. I charge you therefore before... This is Paul telling an Ephesian elder, Timothy. I charge you. I charge you. This isn't an option. This isn't Timothy if you have time. You know, when in doubt, fall back on just reading the Bible. No, I charge you. Therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. What's the word? All scripture. This is what the shepherd does. He preaches all scripture. Be ready. In season and out of season, right? In winter or in spring, right? We're we're about to cross into spring in three minutes. No, that's not what it means. In other words, be ready all the time when it's convenient or not convenient. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching using what? All 
Scripture. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. All Scripture. The time, see, the time will come when they won't endure it. But according to their own desires, because they having itching ears, they'll heap up for themselves. This is bad. See, Paul warned them in Acts chapter 20 that men would rise up among yourselves. Wolves would come in and they wouldn't spare the flock. Here he warns Timothy, they're going to get tired of what you're saying when you preach all scripture. And they're going to find people that will say to them what they really want to hear. Why, why is the savage wolf able to walk in among the sheep? Because he's saying what the sheep want to hear. He doesn't sneak in. They swing open the door and they say, please come in among us. That's what you're up against. Itching ears. Because they have itching ears, they heap up for themselves teachers and they'll be turned, they'll turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Let it not be so. Brothers and sisters, listening to the word of God is work and it always will be. The movie, the TV show, the sporting event you like to watch is always going to be seem more fun to you. And I'm not against having some of that in your life. It's a nice little escape from time to time. You be careful about how you discern about that. But, but listen, the thing you need in your life is the Word of God and its work. And you want to come back to it and back to it and back to it and back to it and back to it. Amen. Memorize it. Make it the foundation of your life. What else do you want to stand on? They'll be turned aside to fables. But you, Timothy, be watchful. There's watch, right? Be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Do you see all the words of warning in that? Do you see all the words of watchfulness in that? That's what he said to the elders of the Ephesus church. He said, you be watchful about this stuff. And you remember, I was there for three years and night and day with tears. I did not cease to warn people about this. That's your job, Timothy. That's your job, Ephesus elders. That's your job, Pastor Lou. That's your job, Fellowship Bible Church, to be faithful to these things. I don't think we'll sing the last hymn. Let's close in prayer. Our Father in heaven, thank you for this time that we've had together here today. Dear Lord God, thank you for the reminder that we need to be faithful to your word. You have assured us that trouble would come in the church because Satan isn't pleased with churches that teach carefully through the Bible. Help us, having been warned about that, to be faithful, to watch and to stay faithful to your word, faithful to the message of the gospel, faithful to the teaching of the scriptures, knowing that all scripture is all that's needed to make someone complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. We have all we need in all scripture. Help us to be faithful. Thank you for this time today. In Jesus' name, amen.